You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Ado, we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians 4 verses 1 through 3 is going to be our text today. If you don't have a Bible, totally cool. We have Bibles right on these tables right as you walk in. You can go grab one right now if you want a physical copy. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. It's our gift to you. Don't feel weird about, like, stealing a Bible from church. Um, it's our gift to you. Feel free if you know someone in your life that wants a Bible or you think they would, take it as well. But if you've been with us uh, the last, how long has it been now? Four, five, six months now since last fall, we have been in the book of Philippians. And what we do here at Reality, sometimes we'll do series on its own, but most of the year, most of our Sundays, we are uh, going through a book of the Bible. There's always different ones we're going through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just really digging into what the author is saying, what God is saying through this specific text to the specific group or whoever it's written to, and then glean from ourselves what we can get from it. And so the book of Philippians, really it's a letter. The Apostle Paul has written this letter to this church of Philippi. Currently, just for context sake, just to kind of catch you up if you forgot or if you weren't with us, Paul is penning this letter currently from prison. He is under house arrest in Rome, and he is arrested because he has been going through the region preaching the gospel and starting churches and raising up leaderships. And the gospel has now spread all the way from Jerusalem and where Paul gave his life to the Lord, all the way through Asia into Europe, it spread to northern Africa, and it's gotten as far as Rome. So if you were going to take a boat or donkey or walk, this is a very far distance from Jerusalem. And so the gospel has reached there. God is on the move. The Christian movement is, is, is like wildfire taking, taking ground. But what Paul is doing, and what Paul does throughout the New Testament, we have about 13 of his letters, is many times, obviously he can't pick up a phone or text or write an email. He writes letters, and they're carried to certain people or certain pastors communicating certain things. And there's a few different reasons why Paul writes this letter in specific, but what I will tell you, and you'll see today is the Philippians have a special place in Paul's heart. Paul helped start this. Paul has poured into this. He's, he knows the people in the church. He has a special connection. And so I don't want to say they're his favorites, but they could be. And uh, he really cares about them. And what you'll see today is he really cares by name people that are in that church. Right? You would not think that Paul the Apostle, like a thousand miles away in Rome, has probably forgotten about that church in Philippi. No, he actually cares about specifically, there's two women that are having a conflict, and he cares about them reconciling. It's very personal, this, this here. Um, I will get their names wrong, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to get the names wrong. That's okay. Then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Philippians 4, 1 through 3, Paul speaking to the church in Philippi says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. 
Do you see how personal that one verse is? I love you. I long for you. You're my dear friends. Right? Just, just hold that. It's important. He says, I plead with you, Yodia. I don't know. And I plead with you, Syntech, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I plead with you to be in the same mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you, uh, not only because we have your word, but it just feels like we have this incredibly intimate, personal, preserved letter between your son Paul and your daughters and the church there, and we get to have this window in to see reconciliation between sisters in a church a plea for unity. And God, we understand that this is an historical letter out of context. I mean, this is uh, in a different culture some 2,000 years ago, and we want to respect that, but we also want to know this morning that these lessons are for us as well. God, this plea for unity and reconciliation and brotherly and sisterly love, that is for us as much as it is, is uh, today as it was then. Open up our hearts to what you have for us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For me personally, the local church has been such a beautiful thing. Myself personally, I didn't grow up in the church. A lot of you guys know my story. I gave my life to the Lord in middle school. I had no idea who Jesus was. I had not been to church. My parents weren't believers. But my best friend's family was, he invited me, I got saved, and I got like immediately plugged into youth group, middle school youth group, high school youth group, then became like a youth leader, and then youth pastor, and then I've been a pastor in the local church for 17 and a half years now. So for me, 25 of my years out of 38 have been like entrenched in a good way in the beautiful thing that God created, and it's the church. That's where I've received mentorship, friendship, community, encouragement, belonging. Like, honestly, my place in the world. I found my purpose there, friendships. found my wife at the church. I raised my kids in the church. And again, it's been my calling in my career for the last 17 years. So when you say, like, the local church or the church, for some people, you have a huge different connotation than me. You maybe have bad connotations, Different connotations. Maybe you're new to the church. I get that. But for me, when you talk about the local church, this is one expression of a local expression of the church. Right? There's the big C, capital C church. This is the global, worldwide Christian movement. But there's many representations of that in every city or place in the world. And Reality Honolulu is one part where a local expression of the big church. And so for me, as beautiful though as the local church can be. I've also uh, would tell you that it's the place that's filled with some of the most drama as well. 
hurt feelings, broken relationships, relational fallout, pain, trauma, you name it. It's also a place that those things can happen and do happen. And we all have those stories where when I say church, we all have a different like, ooh, I don't know, my relationship with the church. I don't know how I feel about that because of my experience. We all have that. We all come today with that. But as a pastor, too, not only am I like I've been in a church and churches for 25 years, but I've pastored churches in different capacities for like 17 of those years. And, not, and so a, a part of pastoring is navigating and mediating and counseling and praying for broken relationships in churches, in marriages, in families, with kids and parents, like with youth, everything. But also, pastors um, also have to deal with, like, everyone in the church that's unhappy with them or how they led or what they said in a sermon or what they didn't say or how they navigated COVID in those years. Like, this was not, this was, it's, it's hard. The church is beautiful as it's equally complicated. It's beautiful and it's messy all at the same time. Because we live this side of heaven. So we can hold both of those as, as truth. But here's this interesting thing, though. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. It also can be really messy. But what the church and Christians in community are supposed to be like is actually unlike any other group of people in the entire planet. Because this is why. Despite our differences because we're all very different, we're to be a people of one mind and one accord that we love and live for and serve the Lord despite our differences. Like the goal of any church is not uniformity. It's to be unified amongst our differences, not uniformity. That's very different. You're not supposed to all look exactly the same and have the same personality and the same take on life and the same this and the same that. That's not the picture that we see in Scripture. We actually see in Scripture is a picture of heaven. If we look ahead, what is the picture that we see in Revelation of heaven? It doesn't say, well, everyone looks and speaks the same. And they act the same and they are the same. If anything, we see this hugely different picture. The author describes it as, it's a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping their God. Like there's this picture of diversity and differences, and we're all different, but what unifies us is King Jesus. Right? There's this beautiful call, this beautiful vision of what the church is to be like. But the reality is, when it comes to interpersonal relationships as well, it gets sticky. It gets hard. It gets complicated. Because we're a bunch of people that are imperfect and we're different and we're in need of Jesus, but we're trying to do life together. Right? That can be messy real quick. But again, the vision that God gives the church when it comes to interpersonal relationships inside the church is that we're actually, as Christians, called to a higher standard. To be reconciled to each other when a relationship with broke, is broken. See, as Christians, we, we aren't supposed to do relationships like anyone else does. Or at least it's supposed to be that way. 
Like, we, we're supposed to actually look through different lenses and a different worldview and a different perspective when we're wronged, when we're hurt, when we're sinned against. We're actually supposed to react and respond completely different than people that don't know Jesus. And again, that doesn't mean that we're just supposed to like take it and brush things off and every relationship is supposed to be repaired completely to how it was. No, that's not what it says. But the vision, the call, the standard that we're trying hard to live into is to be reconciled to another brother and sister more than anyone else. I say these things to connect us to the context of the story today. Because that is exactly what Paul is pleading with these women about. That's what, exactly what's happening. So let me back up a second. Because how does, you got to have to, you have to understand, you have to ask yourself. Paul is in prison in Rome. Philippi is hundreds of miles away. How does Paul even know about the drama going in at that church? Right, there's no like Insta stories or comments on a Facebook post that Paul saw. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's drama in that church. Better call the pastor. That's not what happened. Well, again, what we know about this letter, or the reason why Paul is writing this letter, is one of the reasons why Paul is penning this letter to the Philippians is to thank the church for sending this guy called Epaphroditus. We'll learn about him just in a few verses. But this man, Epaphroditus, has been sent by this church in Philippi to offer support to Paul while he's in house arrest. And he's also brought financial gifts and other things to just take care of Paul. See, back then, if your family and friends didn't bring you things while you're in prison, you just wouldn't eat or you wouldn't have a blanket or you wouldn't have provisions. Most likely, the church in Philippi heard that Paul is imprisoned. They sent this guy, Epaphroditus, with money and stuff to come and love on Paul and be next to him. But more than likely... Right? What would, if I was Paul, like if you were Paul, and Epaphroditus comes, not only are you excited to see him, he's your buddy, the church that you love, has sent help, but what would you want to know? You'd be like, Epaphroditus, tell me everything. You'd want to be like gossip train. Tell me everything, good or bad, that's happening. Tell me about the church. What is God doing? And again, I'm only assuming, but Epaphroditus, we know, is relaying positive things and things that are encouraging but then he also fills Paul in about the drama going on he's like have you heard about actually you haven't because you ha how could you have you heard about the two these two women there's drama and in in, in that context they might have been like and one left the church or they're thinking about leaving the church or they can't get along I don't know what to do so again chapter four Paul is writing a lot of it's broad concepts in this letter, and then all of a sudden it gets really personal. And he's, and he's pleading with these two women that he, about their relational strife. And again, Paul knows them well because he's not only acquainted with the church, but he says there, he says, who I've served alongside. Right? He's served with them in community. He's been around them. He knows them. And so he has this relational currency. He isn't just a pastor, but he knows these women, and he's pleading for them to reconcile. Again, he cares a lot about the church. He helped start it. And even he says here, he says that the church in Philippi is his joy and his crown. 
what he's meaning there is, you know, Paul has spent a lot of years now trying to spread the gospel. And it's been filled with hardship, and some of it's worked better than others, but he's really proud. He's really proud of how they're doing in the Lord. He's so excited about what they're doing. In his mind, he's like, the work that's happening in Philippi, like, I take joy in it, and I, I, I consider you my joy and my crown, my victory. Like, I feel victorious in starting this church in this city that shouldn't have happened. Right? He's rejoicing in this work. But, but he feels for what's happening because there's strife within the community. And he's responding. He's advising them um, to reconcile. And he names them personally. Yudia and Syntec. He appeals to them. And then he, he, he refers to someone else we don't know who it is. Did you see that? He, he's writing to these two women, but he's really not sure if this letter is going to get read to them. So then in verse, what is it, verse 1 or 2? Yeah, verse 3, excuse me. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion. Who's he speaking to? We actually don't know. But again, someone, maybe it's Epaphroditus, is going to take this letter from Rome, travel all the way to Philippian, to Philippi, He's going to give someone, again, I'm assuming it's the pastor of the church or an elder at the time, this letter. He's going to read it first, but then he's going to read it in front of the congregation. Right? This letter is meant for their community. Like on a Sunday morning, it would be like the announcements of the church. Like, hey guys, we have a letter from Paul. Here's what it says. Can you imagine that though? Like your names are written in it about your drama. I don't know how that would go over, but that's what's happening. This is a public letter, and he's, like, naming these two women. They're like, oh, my gosh, Paul, I don't know about that move, but you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But what you need to hear from this story that I'm telling, and it's written this morning, is, and I hope we hear it loud and clear, what's important to Paul and what's important to God is this, is unity of heart and mind and relational wellness amongst believers in the local church. Like, that is important to God. That is important to Paul. And throughout Paul's letters, he's fighting for unity. He's fighting for believers to try to get along despite their differences. But if we're honest, doesn't that sound like a message that we could just preach every day in the church today? Right? I've, I've, I've pastored on the mainland before, and then I pastored here the last seven years. And I've seen many people come and go from our church. I also have many pastor friends, and all of them, it happens. It's, it's sadly, it's like the same thing. And again, this island and its churches aren't immune from relational drama. No one is. So it's relative. I mean, it's uh, relatable. It's for today, too. So the question I want to pose to us is that when, not if, but when, we have relational, you could call it drama or relational fallout with another brother, sis, brother and sister in the church, what is our responsibility? What do we do? Right, again, Paul is, he's not giving specifics out to these women. He's not like, it's, not, it's almost like he didn't even hear the full story from Epaphroditus. He just knows there's drama. And Paul's just making a plea for unity. 
But I do think there are three simple but powerful things that will promote unity and reconciliation in any church with any problem. Again, this is, I want to caveat this, but I have three points. They're not long points, so don't worry. Like, is he just starting? No. Like, I have three points. They're not long, but I think they're simple but powerful to promote unity and reconciliation in the church with any issue going on. This is my caveat, though. These things will not miraculously fix all your problems, okay? Uh, all situations are different. Um, they won't automatically heal it. Again, there are certain situations inside of a church that are toxic. They're bad relationships or churches, and you do need to leave, right? Like, that, that's a thing, too. Again, this is like sidebar. Let's talk about it. But, and if God is calling you, not to fellowship, he's calling you into a new work, then again, that's a different story. Right? God does that. He's done that to me, he's done that to you. Like, there's different seasons that God calls you to different churches. But when you are leaving a church or thinking about leaving a church, when it comes to disunity with another believer, that's what I want to speak into. Or if you just have drama, you don't have to be leaving the church, but if you're like, that person wronged me, and now I sit on the other side of the room, and I don't talk to them, and I mad dog them every time I see them. Okay, that's for you too then, okay? In general, I want to challenge all of us to deal with relational brokenness with other believers in these ways. Number one, if you're taking notes, or you can look at the screen and snapshot it. Number one, extend love and understanding. This is what, you know what we're really good at as humans? Assuming the worst. Knowing everyone else's intentions when they do something to hurt us. Right? That's, that's it. I know why they said that. I know why they did that. Right? We're so good at jumping to conclusions and thinking the worst and not thinking the best. We're really good at that. And where does that, where does that land? <laughs> well, automatically it lands just like, I hate you and I know what you did and it's wrong. And right? But I want to back us up. For a second, and I want to challenge us, instead of assuming the worst, to take a step back and think the best. And listen and gain more understanding. Ask questions to that person. Ask for understanding before jumping to any conclusions. I want to even go a step further and why don't you put yourself in their shoes? Think about what they're going through. Have compassion and empathy. Like, there's probably a lot you don't know about their life. Right? When you encounter someone in life that just, like, all of a sudden, like, gets really angry and says something hurtful, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You're like, probably a lot of stuff is happening that caused them to do that. Again, you can just assume, like, Oh my gosh. Or you can go, hey, let me step back for a second. Let me just try to get some understanding about what's happening with their life. Let me just sit back and have some empathy, compassion, extend love and understanding before I just jump into like, I'm going to get you back. Or I'm never talking to you again. I'm not saying you can't still feel hurt and all those things. But if there's one thing that I would say is that would help us not go, uh, and if, I don't think it's just a guy thing, but I think guys, we struggle a little bit more. I'm going to say that is like, we're really quick at like, uh, we don't stop and pause and we're not patient and we're not thinking about it. Like if someone harms us, it's, it harms us, it's like, well, how am I going to get them back? 
right now, right then. So we get into more physical fights usually, like right away. Because we're like, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back right now. No understanding, no compassion, no, no thinking the best, nothing. Again, it's not just the guy thing, but I'll just speak to myself for a second. But what does the Bible say? Again, that's, that's good, extend love and understanding. All those things are wise. Well, here's what it says in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, what are we supposed to do? Love each other deeply, because what does love do? Cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so even biblically, it says that when we're sinned against, when there's a multitude of sins, we're to love that other person deeply. Because somehow, in a supernatural way, our love, our godly love for them, despite being hurt, covers a multitude of sins. Obviously, there's many verses about that, but one other one is what Jesus said. Right? Jesus, in verse chapter 13 of the book of John, verse 34, said, A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, this is a disciple-disciple thing first, meaning Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And what he's saying is, is that he's speaking to them. Like, you guys first need to love one another. You need to model that. Because then the whole world will know that you follow me. Like, your love for one another when you're hurt, when you're, um, something bad has happened to you, when someone's wronged you, when someone's hurt you, you love them, and that testimony will speak volumes to people, and they will know you follow me. Like, extending love to others when we're wronged or when we have relational discord is like the way of the Christian. <clears throat> Again, we need the Holy Spirit for all these. You cannot just do this on your own. Like, this is the hardest thing to do in this world is when we're relationally betrayed or hurt or not invited or you name it. Like, we get hurt all the time. Sometimes it's really deep by someone that's really close to us. Extending love and understanding is like one of the hardest things. We have to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. We, we need God to do this. But it doesn't just stop there. First, let's extend love and understanding. But what's the second thing the Bible would say? I think it would say pursue peace. That's not pursue perfection or pursue the relationship to be restored to exactly how it was. That's not what it says. But I will say this. As you know, relationships are two ways. There's two parts of every relationship. So if I have a relationship with someone, I'm 50% of it, they're 50%. But, so I'm only 50% responsible, like I can only do so much, but I'm 100% responsible for my 50% part. That's, that's where I think we, we, we don't like to admit it, right? Because even though we're half the relationship, we're 100% responsible how we act or react or respond to that person. We can't control them and we can't change them. That's up to them and God. But on our end, Bible would say this. This is where it's like, oh my goodness, really? This is really what it is? It is. Romans. Paul to the church in Rome. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. You know what I wish, I think all of us wish for? Caveats. 
or conditions. As, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, except if... No, no, no. There's no caveats. There's no conditions to this. Well, Riz, you don't know what they've done to me, and you don't know. They haven't apologized to me. I know, that's their 50%. That's not yours. That's their, that's their problem. Unfortunately, I wish they apologized to you. I wish they would take responsibility for how they hurt you. But again, that is between them and God, and that is their, their 50%. But what are you doing with your 50%? Because again, this is where it's like responsibility is on us. Okay, I'm going to pursue peace. As far as it depends upon me, I'm going to try to pursue peace. And again, what that means is even... It, it might not mean that the relationship is, is necessarily like your friends again or it's, it's like fully back or at the same. But again, you know what I mean by this? Like, because I think between us and God, we can go, you know what? I think I tried the best that I could to try to repair. And I think as far as it depends upon me, I tried. If you can stand before God, you're like, you're good. I'm sad that the relationship's not the same. You can feel that also. But I feel like between me and God... By the power of his Holy Spirit, I pursued peace. Again, in context, this is what Paul is pursuing and pleading with these women. Hey, it doesn't mean you got to even serve together in the same ministry. Like, I don't know what he said. It doesn't mean, but, but, but try to pursue peace with one another. Extend love and understanding. Pursue peace as far as it depends upon you. So if we're honest, I'm sure all of us in this room either have had relational discord, continue, have it now or will have it. And so the question we should ask ourselves is, how can we, we make peace? Right? How can we, what can we do on our end to be okay with that person? Right? You guys with me? Okay. Last point. I told you there's the quick. Number three, I think is, is huge. It's hard, but it's oh so powerful is walk in forgiveness. Once you've tried to extend understanding and love and pursue peace, a huge piece of the pie is to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in forgiveness, to forgive them. This will plague you to the end of your days if you hold grudges of unforgiveness with someone. You guys all know this because from time to time, I know all of us wake in the middle of the night and we remember something that someone's done. I don't want to, I'm not downplaying any of our pain. That's real. And that's trauma. And that, that, that's a whole other story. But in, in, in the context today, and talking about our responsibility, where in our relationships can we walk in forgiveness? Or where do we need to? Or where haven't we, Right? Again, this is where, like, the Holy Spirit is needed extra. Because this side of heaven, this is not natural. Because you know what we love to do as a people? We love to go Old Testament. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, retaliation, grudges. Right? We like to do, like, Michael Scott in the office that says, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. You guys seen that one? Okay, maybe not. Jackson has. Right, I will forgive you, but I won't forget. It's like, no, that's not part of it, too. You got to forgive. You got to forget. You got to give it to God. But the reason why 
this one specifically is so important is because we are called to walk in the way of Jesus and the way of the gospel. And you know what Jesus did that sets him apart from anyone else? Is what Paul also told the church in Rome. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, while we hated God, we were enemies of God, we were still rebelling, God says, I love you still, and I'm going to send my son to die to forgive your sins to get you to repair a relationship. That's why the gospel is radical good news. That is radical. While we were enemies of God, he died to forgive our sins against him. I don't know about you, but it's hard to die for someone that you love let alone die for someone that you hate or that hates you, excuse me. Right? Think of that. Like, I'll take a bullet for you, like a spouse or a kid. But if it's someone that's wronged you, that's hurt you, you're like, good luck. Right? Good luck. But God saw all of us in rebellion and he sent his perfect son to die for us to do what? To forgive sins. But why? To repair a relationship. At the heart of the gospel, at the heart of God's heart, he's a, he's a God that restores relationships. Do you see where I'm getting at? The gospel is repairing a broken relationship between a broken people and a perfect, holy God. It was broken. Sin broke it. We were separated from God in relationship. Jesus fixed it. Do you see where I'm going? So Paul is pleading. I'm pleading to say, if Jesus did this for you, for us and God, how much more can he do it with your relationship? God is a restorer of relationships. He's a repairer of relationships. He fights for relationships. He fights for unity. Like that's what Paul is pleading with here. Again, the Bible's ripe with this, but... Again, Paul, again, to the church in Ephesus, to another group of believers, he says this, Philippians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Because, right, we've all been there, and I, and I know that for some of us, this is harder to think about than others because of what you've been through in life. I'm not downplaying that at all. I've been there, though, that I've been really hurt by people that are really close to me, and I, I say to myself, I don't know if they'll all ever forgive them. And, I'm, and I've, I've been serious about that, right? We've all been there. I, wanna, I want us to submit that to the Lord this morning in a real, in an honest way. Oh, can you put that back? Sorry. And go, and just remember we're not forgiving someone because they deserve it. <laughs> Because we didn't deserve it either. Right? Like, we, God didn't go, you know what? You're, pr you're pretty cool. You've done enough good. You're morally enough good that I'm going to forgive you now because you've become a certain standard. No, Christ forgave us when we didn't deserve it most. So I want to challenge us this morning for the relationships and the things we've gone through that we still haven't forgiven over. I, I, I want to humbly ask to just present your request to the Lord to be transformed by his forgiveness to the point where, Lord willing, one day we can forgive that person as well. Because again, we all weren't deserving, and whatever's been done to you, 
I know for a lot of us, we were wronged and they don't deserve to be forgiven, but the way of Jesus is to forgive because Christ forgives us. Not because we deserved it, but because of grace. Amen? So, my challenge to all of us, because I know that I was convicted this week by my loving, perfect Father that I needed to assess my own life, my own relationships. And I think all of us probably do hearing this. And the question that I think we should ask ourselves is, who do we need to seek reconciliation with? Who is it in our life that we have relational brokenness with? Who have, have we have a, a falling out with? And what is our responsibility with that? Where should we seek peace? Where should we forgive them? You get where I'm going with this. And so this is Paul's plea today, and this is mine for us today. The church is beautiful and it's messy. But its community and its unity is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the God that has gone before us, and you're the God that sets the standard for how to restore relationships. And God, if we're honest, we all have been there. We have friends or spouses or loved ones or parents or coworkers or brothers and sisters in the church where, man, there's been things done to us or there's been relational brokenness. And God, we want to step back. We want to give you all these things and we want to surrender these relationships to you and ask Holy Spirit for help. Ask for wisdom and strength and courage to extend love. Maybe to pursue peace or maybe to walk in forgiveness. And I'm mindful, Lord, that um, a message like this can maybe stir up, yeah, just pain that we haven't thought about or relationships that we haven't thought about. And I just pray you'd cover our hearts, Lord, um, to not be harmed by that, but if anything, be let this be an opportunity for healing to come. God, I pray for healing for places of pain in this church. God, I pray the spaces where we've been wronged, even from years ago, that you would bring your supernatural healing and restoration and renewal and reconciliation to Holy Spirit, would you fill this place with love and grace and peace and joy and help us to be a people that walk in these things. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.